Hey, good afternoon. This is Lee Smith with uh, the host of the improbably named Lee Smith Show. And it's going to be it's a pretty incredible show we have today. We're speaking about um, we're speaking about what I take to be one of the most uh, significant events in world history. The Chinese Communist Party since March has locked down its largest city, a a world financial hub, the third largest city in all of the world. And um, I just want to make sure, yes, we have, and speaking with us today, both of these, uh, both of these guys have done fantastic work on the lockdowns, on the Chinese Communist Party. Um, And that is Jordan Schachtel, who publishes at the dossier on Substack, that's Jordan Substack, and Michael P. Sanger, uh, whose excellent book, um, excellent book, Snake Oil: How Xi Jinping Locked Down the World. So they're going to be uh, they're going to be joining us, and I think we have Jordan on, and I think Michael is trying to get on. Um, I'm here. Uh, Good to right. be with you, Lee. Fantastic. All right, great. Jordan, you're there. Yep, I am with you right now. <laughs> How you doing? All right. Is- I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Let me see. I, just, I keep trying to get uh, Michael on here, and I think we're having a little trouble getting him on. He's been invited to speak. Well, Jordan, I mean, if, if you can give us, we'll, while we're waiting for, for Michael to come on too, if you can give us uh, some insight into what's going on. I mean, I, 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 again, my sense is that this is an enormous, an enormous event, but there's so many things going on in the world now, including war in Eastern Europe. Um, and so bizarrely, Shanghai is not even one of the top news stories at this moment. So oh, there's Michael. We'll get him on in one second. Jordan, if, if you want to kick us off and just give us some insight into what, what, what's going on there. Yeah, sure. So Shanghai is in the middle of probably the hardest uh, COVID-related lockdown or any type of lockdown in history. And they've been at it for... About a month or so, there are roughly, there's at least 25 million people under lockdown. There's some estimates that it could be over 100 million people under lockdown. And this is all premised with the idea that there's an outbreak of uh, coronavirus cases in Shanghai specifically. Um, that There you know, have been small lockdowns in recent weeks um, in, in neighboring areas of China, but but nothing to the scale that we're seeing in Shanghai. And it's pretty incredible um, what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to these, you know, at least 25 million people. Um, they've completely cut off any any semblance of freedom of movement. Uh, when you see these uh, experiences that are being transmitted through, you know, Tor and other ways to access Western social media, it, it, it's pretty incredible, and it, it goes to show the ruthlessness with which with the uh, Chinese Communist Party is operating. Um, like a, a day in the life of someone living in an apartment of Shanghai right now, you are uh, probably very hungry, waiting for your government rations of food uh, every single week. Or and it seems like you know the food. There's huge food supply problems. Um, With the brutality is is off the charts. They are, if you test positive for COVID, 
with no exceptions. They're sending you to a, you know, makeshift uh, hospital, which is basically a quarantine camp. And you have to stay there until well after you test negative for COVID. They basically put you on not even a cot, but like a yoga mat where you sleep and there's no privacy. They put you in a cubicle, essentially, and and they have the light on all day. So it's like basically a torture facility. Um, life seems just to be awful there. And, you know, they I, I'm, we see these videos of people leaning out their window. Right. This is a, a marked change from two years ago when we heard Italians under lockdown serenading their 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 their, their health uh, health care workers. And now we see now we see the residents of Shanghai sticking their head out the windows, uh, begging, crying for help. Yeah, it, it seems to be totally horrendous. Um, and this is, you know, I wrote about this the other day. This is what happens when you just completely ab- abuse any notion of individual freedom and, and think that, you know, this top down authoritarian system can kind of solve all your problems. Um, unfortunately, there hasn't really been much resistance to this because from a very early age, you know, you understand the social compact in China, which is basically as long as my life is better than my parents' life and my grandparents' lives, huh. I'm okay with this whole authoritarian project. But right now, the authoritarian project isn't working out so well for the people in Shanghai. Wow. Um, Michael, thanks, Jordan. Michael, uh, would you like to, uh, yeah, would, would you like to give us your insight into, into what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jordan's summary was very accurate. It's, uh, it's absolutely horrifying what's going on in Shanghai. And really, you know, when you think about it, it's the logical conclusion of this sort of zero COVID philosophy that we've seen sort of sweep the world for the last two years. You know, no matter how strict the lockdowns were, they never worked anywhere outside of, you know, what the Chinese Communist Party supposedly said worked in Wuhan. Um, because it all began with that utterly obscene, just ridiculous narrative that we got out of Wuhan in early 2020, that through this super strict lockdown of Wuhan, where they were welding people into their homes. And of course, we had all the, you know, fake videos coming out of people, um, you know, falling to their deaths and spasming. All of those were subsequently proven fake. But, you know, the narrative that we were told was through that super lockdown of Wuhan for a few weeks, uh, they reversed the cases and eventually eliminated COVID cases from all of China. Now, that is completely obscene because the virus is already very widespread all over the world. You cannot simply eliminate a virus from an entire country of 1.3 billion people by shutting down one city for a few weeks, um, you know, no matter how many people you weld in. But that was the basis. And when you actually go back and look at what scientists, uh, pro-lockdown scientists, were using as the basis for their policies and mandates, it all comes back to that narrative that the super strict lockdown of Wuhan and what China had done in Wuhan eliminated cases from all of China. So this is sort of the logical conclusion. You know, whenever it failed, they simply recommended more and more mandates. And Shanghai is a culmination of that. Right. That's always been the take of the not necessarily even extremists, but the takes is, well, lockdowns didn't work because they weren't implemented hard enough. People people weren't entirely choked off from communing with their neighbors. And that's the effort here in Shanghai to go even harder on the lockdown. I, that's exactly what it is. It's, um, you know, is the culmination of that entire sort of zero COVID philosophy, oh. you know, just uh, whatever it fails 
it's because you didn't lock down hard enough. In Shanghai, being a sort of mod very modern city with a very sort of cosmopolitan populace, you get a lot more information. You know, China has done these lockdowns of other cities around China, but Shanghai being the financial capital, you see it much more, you know, vividly and viscerally what's going on there. Both of you, uh, both of you gentlemen, have written about elements of, or, or uh, uh, remarkable elements of theater involved in lo and lockdowns, and regarding how the Chinese Communist Party has 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 treated lockdowns and COVID from the beginning. So I'd I'd like to ask both of you, um, I, I, what is real here, and how much is theater? I, I mean, I even want to get into like, look, do they really believe? in zero COVID or is that a pretext for other things? Is this uh, a, an exercise of, of political uh, will as well? But first, let, let's just start off and, and, and Jordan, if I can get you to come back on and talk about, again, both of these guys, I just wanna repeat uh, Michael Michael's book, Michael's excellent book, Snake Oil, uh, and Jordan's fantastic substack, the dossier. So, but Jordan, if you could start off, what here is real, what here is theater? So it's tough to I I think Michael and I share the the thesis about Wuhan that um, at least I don't want to speak for him, but in my view, most of the Wuhan stuff was propaganda, and it was basically a short term experiment slash info op to really shake up the world. It seems because after the Wuhan thing, China did not revisit substantial lockdowns to that degree you know, for over two years. So now when we're um, observing the motivations of the Shanghai situation, I actually wrote about this in the dossier. Um, and I, I am not entirely sold one way or another. I, I think there's a variety of possibilities. Um, I, I think that th there's very much the potential that the Chinese Communist Party is dealing with some type of internal political sparring, which is why you're seeing um, a, a city like Shanghai locked down, but Beijing is not locked down and they're doing the mass testing in, in one major city and not the other. It seems to be there, there's some type of local political element here. Like, why did they choose Shanghai to do right. something crazy? But I but I also think that, you know, th there's there's the reality that, you know, they're they're actually trying, in my view, they're actually trying this zero covid experiment in Shanghai. And we'll see in the coming days and weeks what their commitment is to the zero COVID philosophy, because in my view, you know, if they take it to its end, they will never, in fact, stop the virus and they'll end up you know, committing some form of genocide against their own population. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. I mean, hopefully they go and just drop the, the whole lockdown thing entirely and make up the numbers like they've been doing in the past and just say that they cured COVID again. Um, that's the optimal situation for humanity at least but who knows because they, they've shown just such a blatant disrespect for for the protection of human rights that who knows will they'll, where they'll go next but we'll definitely see in the next few weeks because wow. this this uh, thing is just totally unsustainable in my view wow uh michael what what is what is real what is theater or, or too hard to tell right now yeah, I, I mean, I think that's definitely true. I think the bureaucracy in Shanghai, the sort of local political elements in Shanghai might have gotten to get overzealous and carried away. Um, that said, I think the question of how much is real and how much is theater 
is almost when you're talking about a totalitarian communist country like China, it's it's almost a moot point. It's all theater. All of communism is theater. It's, uh, you know, there's absolutely no question <laughs> yeah. that the horrors that we're experiencing in Shanghai, um, what the population is going through is absolutely horrific. And there's also plenty wow. of evidence that the lockdown of Wuhan was horrific as well. Mm. You know, Zhang Zhang is still in jail within China, one of the fir- fir- very first people to report and blow the whistle on just how awful mm. the conditions in the lockdown of Wuhan were. And, um, you know, from what we've ver- observed, does seem like the lockdown in Shanghai is even worse. That said, you know, just because the horrors that are being visited on the population are very real doesn't mean that the policy itself isn't theater because all of, you know, the entire communist system is just propaganda in theater. It's all, you know, this idea, this big spectacle that we're all in this together. I think, you know, within the Western world for a long time, it's been a taboo to visit sort of unnecessary hardship on people. But that is simply not the case in a totalitarian communist country like China. You look at somebody like Xi Jinping, who spent so much of his youth in a forced labor camp, you know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to feel too bad about some bankers, you know, missing a few meals. It's, you know, to them, it's almost like character building. So they could easily declare a victory. And, you know, I I would not say that would be the ideal outcome for humanity that might be good for the population of Shanghai to probably be relieved from this for the party to simply declare victory and forge their data again. However, that puts the rest of the world right back where we started. It gives all the pro-lockdown camp, they can say, hey, look, you know, China did it again. They proved that by visiting this brutality on their people, which only the great Chinese Communist Party could do, look how well they did it, welding everybody in and, you know, making people miss meals and everything. But by doing so, they eliminated the super virus. And now here cases are rising again. We are back in the exact same place. Your, your, the argument of your book or part of the argument of, of your book, and, and please, I hope you will check and correct me if I'm, if I'm getting it wrong, but that, uh, you know, Xi Jinping in, in inspired these. He wasn't, he wasn't coercing Western leaders to lock down their own societies, but he inspired these. And so I'm seeing reports today that, um, that, 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 that the uh, Chinese government is furious at the United States for evacuating, uh, for evacuating some, some of its, uh, you know, some of its employees at the embassy. I mean, this almost actually seems like messaging. You better take our lockdown seriously and you have no choice but to be locked down. So, yeah. So, I mean, one of the big questions is, will we see lockdowns as severe as this in the United States, or is it going to depend on, as, as Jordan said, will it depend on the success or will political officials here simply use them regardless of how or, or, they're not successful? We know they're not successful, but if they're sold as successful, will we see them employed here? What, what do you guys think? I don't think there's much chance of seeing lockdowns as harsh as we saw in Shanghai or in Wuhan. But if you think about what we experienced in the last two years, we never had lockdowns quite that brutal anywhere else. Instead, what we had is an unlimited excuse for failure. 
The reason lockdowns failed everywhere else was not because they were implemented on fraudulent pretenses and because the tests were, you know, completely ridiculous and yield 90% false positives. It was simply because we didn't lock down as well as they did in China. We weren't able to visit. It's because of all these freedoms and human rights we have. If we just get rid of one more of those freedoms, one more of those human rights, I'm sure that'll do the trick. According to you know the stooges and apologists who who push this policy and keep praising China, right. the problem is that we can't visit that level of brutality on people. So it gives that sort of it's not that we will have lockdowns that are that strict necessarily, although you know that may be what you know she has in mind. It's that every time we do implement one more mandate, get one, rid of one more right, that's the reason it never works. Is because right. we don't have that totalitarian system, according to the apologists. Right. Jordan, what do you think? Are we going to be seeing? Are people going to try to, you know, look, I mean, I, I, I want very much to agree with you, Michael, but we saw some people who were insane last time. I mean, including the now former governor of New York, the current governor of California. And even though those lockdowns went as harsh, these people caused a tremendous amount of, of, of pain and suffering to, yeah. to, to Americans. Jordan, what do you think? I, I think the biggest issue is that there are tens of millions, if not over 100 million Americans who actually have been propagandized into believing that this stuff works, whether it's the lockdowns, the masks, the other tools and such, that they believe that if there is a virus out there, the government will be able to save them and keep them safe through lockdowns and through a variety of other means. So, that's my concern. What's good is that in America, you know, we have this federal system where we can live peacefully in Florida for now, at least, and not have to worry about so much overreach. Um, where I am, like we have been free of math in Florida. We have been free of the mask regime for quite some time. There's zero chance that they will ever bring lockdowns to Florida anytime soon. Um, it, but if I'm living in a place like Philly, which is just reinstituted indoor masks and where the mask culture is yeah. very prominent, I, I think it's very much uh, possible or even probable that you'll start to see some restrictions, which are all variations of that original, you know, pseudoscientific Wuhan lockdown. All of this nonsense, this, you know, public health, which is a fraudulent category of science itself. You'll see a lot of this stuff coming back um, just because so many people believe in it and it, it created a constituent of like a rabid uh, constituency that would demand this of their politicians. And so the incentive for the politician now is to bring back the restrictions if they see, you know, cases rising and people getting sick again in the winter and such. Um, well, let, I, I, I agree. When I saw that they were imposing mask mandates again in Philadelphia, I said, oh, dear, dear Lord, I mean, it's only a matter of time now before all the entire Northeast is going to be masking up again um, with New York, Washington, uh, Boston. But uh, I mean, you, you talk about the politicians. I'd like to ask you guys, wh where does this intersect? Where does this intersect with campaign season? We saw that the initial lockdowns here in the United States were imposed in March 2020 with the uh, November or with the 2020 presidential elections eight months away. Now, what we're looking at is the uh, 2022 midterms are seven months away. So to what extent do you guys think 
that there will be political exigencies, especially with the way that Joe Biden is polling right now, that Democratic officials in Democratic-run towns and regions and states are going to try to impose lockdowns um, for political gain. Michael, what, what, what's your sense? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an indication of how much the political winds have shifted that often politicians wait until after the elections to implement more mandates, you know, as sort of whatever they can get away with. And, you know, because the winds shifted so swiftly over the last two years, what we saw is these mandates becoming, you know, much more unpopular and often, you know, a lot of them were lifted with you know, no real scientific um, rationale just sort of for completely political reasons. So fortunately, you know, the tides really have turned politically. However, with the midterms coming up and with an increasing amount of sort of, um, you know, tribalism and polarization leading up to those midterms, I think you'll definitely see in, you know, heavy blue liberal areas, uh, politicians trying to grandstand by implementing these more these mandates and, uh, you know, appeal to their base by saying, oh, yeah, we're being tough on COVID as, you know, cases inevitably rise again. It's remarkable that this has become now since 2020 a part of American politics, that one way to signal to your base that you're a serious person is to is to employ collective punitive measures against the population. I mean, it's it's a great tragedy. And I mean, certainly one of one of the things that will be the task of not American policymakers, but the American public, but to find a way to get out of this, to reverse this effect. Unfortunately, though, we know that some of the times uh, it's hard to unsee what has been seen or unhear what has been heard. Um, what What are the other look? I, I mean, let's go back to Shanghai itself for a second. Are there are there political causes or political purposes to which, uh, you know, for, for which Xi has, has imposed the lockdown in Shanghai, or is that a more local matter? The people who are running Shanghai imposed the lockdowns, or is this Xi, Xi himself? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting elements at play here. You know, there's a macro level and kind of the internal Chinese uh, level, which remains very unclear. Um, but on a macro level, you're seeing, uh, you know, huge shifts in the global economy, you know, with the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, there's a there's an ongoing challenge to the dollar being posed by the likes of the Chinese and um, the Russians. And I, I think that there's like a bigger there's also a potentially bigger agenda in play here. Um, I, I think that you, they they sense the, the Chinese government certainly senses legitimate weakness, and if they want to manipulate world markets, um, Shanghai is definitely a nice place to screw around with things because it's a giant manufacturing epicenter of the world right now. So if you're trying to wage some type of attack on the American system and you want your own fiat system to become the global world reserve currency, then perhaps, you know, there's another agenda in play there. But it, it, it's very difficult to 
understand exactly, you know, the, the political internal stuff that's going on in the CCP, because um, I, I think all we get when there's reporting on it in the West is it's all based off of U.S. intelligence sources, which are so unreliable that you know, sometimes <laughs> you need to entertain the opposite argument that they're projecting as well. So uh, it, it's tough to really get a sense of what's going on internally there right now for me. It, it, I, I, I agree with you, of course. I mean, you know, we, we, we know there's a, a huge amount of competition right now. And the, you know, People's Republic of China is trying to replace the United States in lots of, in lots of important ways. But what, what I, I was arguing with a few friends before saying, well, yeah, that makes sense. And for instance, if Saudi Arabia, the world's leading producer of oil, uh, is getting frustrated with uh, first the, Bi- uh, the Obama administration and, and now the Biden administration and have been looking for options, and certainly China is a, is a, a very likely alternative um, if you're looking at this, though, aren't you saying, you know, it's bad that the Bi- what the Biden administration is doing between the Iran deal and the fact that the president of the United States seems to be really cognitively in decline at this point. Nonetheless, though, the Chinese have just locked down 25 million people in the third largest city in the world. I mean, I, I, I would take that as a strange sign. That would I, I think that would scare me off. I, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, you know, you guys will know better than I than, than I do for sure. But it just seems that that, that would be a, a sign that would give lots of outside actors the willies. Mike, Mike, Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I, it's very tough to say where this decision to shut down Shanghai actually came from, whether that came from the sort of local politics and the bureaucracy there, whether it came from the top. That said, is that we know that the upper leadership of the Chinese Communist Party certainly hasn't stopped it, at least yet. They've kind of let it all play out, this very sort of, um, you know, grisly, just awful horror show that's uh, this happened with um, very real people. Um, but they could declare victory any time. And that said, you know, it all does serve the interests of the Chinese Communist Party quite well, um, because it gives them another opportunity to prove that this policy, you know, works. Now, one thing is clear, despite the fact that you're having, you know, hundreds of thousands of cases and, you know, these, you know, this awful lockdown that ever is just horrifying people across the world, the Chinese Communist Party is still very clearly forging their data. You know, they are still reporting zero deaths as they have since February of, you know, I think it was February or March of 2020, they've reported there are zero COVID deaths. Wait, I'm sorry, you you mean even with this lockdown and they're saying, what is it, 25, something like 15,000 people a day are are testing positive for COVID, including asymptomatic, but none of these people have died. That's the report. Yeah. So, you know, with the uh, Wuhan okay. lockdown, it was that lockdown of Wuhan was so super effective that eliminated COVID from all of China. Now, apparently, the Shanghai lockdown is so super effective that they have hundreds of thousands of cases, but no deaths. You know, it makes absolutely no sense. And of course, you know, their apologists here, the useful idiots here, are giving, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous excuses, falling all over themselves to say that, oh, well, you know, it could be true because there's differences in vaccination rates and everything. China has a very low portion of its elderly population vaccinated. 
that does not explain. I mean, there's no good explanation. It's just pure data fraud. So the Chinese Communist Party is still throughout all this showing a serious willingness to simply forge its data. And presumably they will they will do that and eventually declare victory with the Shanghai lockdown. Right. Now, even more than keeping alive this lie that COVID can be combated with these mandates, it also, even more important than exporting that totalitarian system, is getting away with doing so. Because the absolute worst result for the Chinese Communist Party is for, you know, me and Jordan's work to become mainstreamed and for there to be a huge international, you know, popular backlash against the Chinese Communist Party and for them back to be end up isolated like they were in the Mao era. That is the absolute worst case scenario. So the fact that people are now saying, oh, well, you know, that hypothesis is this was a psychological operation. Obviously, that's not true because they're inflicting uh, this brutality on the residents of Shanghai. We all uh, see that case closed. That conversation itself shows how well this is serving the Chinese Communist Party's interest because uh, it's getting people to say, you know, say, oh, nothing to see there. You know, they really believe it. They're really doing this. Um, you know, they weren't trying to fool us. I want to come back in one second to what you said about your uh, your take becoming. Yeah, that the the, 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 the your and Jordan's understanding of COVID and the lockdowns becoming mainstream. So I want to talk about your particular issues with a certain uh, well-known social media company. Uh, but I want to go to Jordan <laughs> first, very quickly, and I, and I or, or not quickly, Jordan. There's no rush. But I wanted to ask you when I was saying, yeah, wouldn't these lockdowns look? Wouldn't the lockdowns alarm some outside actors insofar as there is competition between the United States? And the People's Republic of China right now aren't people outside looking going, wow, OK, we, we, we you know, we, we tried these lockdowns. They didn't work. They're crazy. Uh, we uh, we Swedes, we, we never did it at all. And the idea that now that China is a rising power and they're getting away with this, we don't like the way this looks. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to child to challenge the, the lockdown ideology specifically because there's definitely a, a connection between you know the the restrictionist camp and the the pro you know take four injections uh, every season camp and what's interesting about the, 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 the uh, uh, no, I'm just, you, I'm, I'm, no i'm just laughing yeah oh, okay <laughs> yeah. would you prefer not i i don't know what the what the the situation of calling is but um, I, i'm 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 comfortable with your, with <laughs> with the opinions of jordan Shackdell. Okay, Michael P. Sanger. And I, I think that's why all of our great listeners are here, too. OK, so one of the funny things about the situation in China is that the, you know, the hard lockdown people tend to believe the numbers out of China because like they're kind of like thoughtless sheep and whatnot. But they're also very big proponents of the idea that Pfizer and Moderna have saved humanity through the release <laughs> of their vaccines. Right. And what, what is interesting about that is that in China. They use state, um, the, the state made a bunch of um, inactivated viral uh, vaccines, which are not based on mRNA. And the mm. Pfizer and Moderna um, shots never made it into China. So you, you should ask your, your local lockdown advocate, you know, maybe the re- if maybe the reason for China's success and not having any COVID deaths is because they used a better vaccine and, and just see see their see their how their reaction is because it's um it's kind of fascinating that 
you know, th- there's all these proponents in the United States out there of, oh, you know, in addition to lockdowns and masks and social distancing, uh-huh. we need everyone quadruple vaccinated. Uh-huh. Well, you can tell them, well, hey, China's only reported five deaths in two years uh-huh. and they never had to do the <laughs> vaccines. So, right. And this is keeping <laughs> um, in mind what Mike, what Michael has said and what you've said, too, is that these numbers are not the numbers coming out of the Chinese Communist Party are not to be trusted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if you want to if they want to play this this numbers game and we're going to believe the right. the government, the CDC and Chinese CDC data, then like let's talk about those numbers and and have a conversation about them. Right. right. I mean, it's uh Michael, were you going to say something before that I cut you off? Oh no, no, go ahead. Okay. Well, no, I was just going to say that this this is one of the tragedies of the moment. It's it's not just, you know, it's not just the coronavirus. It's not just the damage it's not just the actual physical damage that has been done to the United States. It's not just the, the people who have hurt, the businesses lost, the families broken, the friendships broken. It's also the idea, I mean, you know, and, and, and the idea that all of this confusion, all of this noise, we will go into something, a pandemic that will, I believe, be much deadlier, much more dangerous than COVID-19. And no one will be able to trust our public health authorities because of stuff that the two of you guys have been describing quite well. It's like they're talking about numbers from China as though they're real. They talk about the mRNA uh, vaccines as though these have saved humanity. So that, that, that's one of the issues. And I believe that, that, that lots of Americans are looking around and they, and they feel that they are going into the future without, uh, they're going into the future naked, without, without a national public health authority, or even in some cases, state and local authorities. Michael, I, I, but, but the two of you guys um, have been terrific. And I, I strongly... Uh, I strongly recommend that everyone listening check out what Michael and, and Jordan are saying, and I and I, I think that this is one of the reasons why why both Jordan and Michael have been uh, have been the the social media authorities have zeroed in on them. I was speaking with Jordan before, and I know he had a he had a minor run in with one of the uh, with one of the social media platforms, and Michael has had a rather more serious one with Twitter. Michael, can you, do you mind filling us in on this? Yeah, uh, you know, very suddenly one day, just, uh, you know, tweeting as usual, um, tweeted something along the lines of, I was sharing an article, The Atlantic had just published this article, one of their usual COVID hysterical articles, oh, you know, we're close to 1 million deaths in the United States. And it's just so tragic. How did 1 million deaths become normalized? And, you know, and so I comment on it, you know, I shared the article and comment, well, you know, the public is not alarmed by this anymore. One million deaths has become normalized because the public, one way or another, they may not willing to be to face that yet. But one way or another, they will come to the fact that all these mandates from the lockdowns to the mass mandates to the vaccine passes and the mass testing, it's all one giant fraud. And, you know, an hour later, just suddenly out of the blue, I'm permanently suspended from Twitter for what was very obviously just a political opinion. Um, And unfortunately, you know, that is what has become normalized. That is what beginning with, you know, the Chinese Communist Party's lockdown of Wuhan. Hold on. Can I I ask quickly? I mean, so what they notified you or they just took you off Twitter and that was it? Did they tell you exactly why they threw you off? Yeah. What? What what are the actual mechanics of getting permanently suspended from Twitter? 
Well, I've had brief suspensions, um, like a couple brief 12-hour suspensions, um, I believe about eight months prior over the summer of 2021. And they have like a strike school. Those tweets were, you know, equally innocuous sort of opinion tweets. Um, And then after, you know, having a couple brief 12-hour suspensions, I was, uh, you know, notified Suddenly, my account was simply deactivated. Uh, my entire profile was deleted. You know, my entire Twitter history, just years, you know, thousands of tweets that I'd shared, uh, many of which had gone viral and uh, been shared by thousands of other people. All the history was simply erased. And, you know, all the tweets sharing my tweets uh, that others had shared had were erased as well. Um, and I was disconnected from, you know, all my contacts, you know, I had hundreds of thousands of contacts on Twitter. So that entire record is simply erased as if it, you know, never existed. Jordan, I, I mean, uh, Jordan, I know you've gotten a lot of pushback on your uh, pushback, what a, what, a, what a weak word for what's going on. But I mean, yeah, both of you guys have been, well, I mean, again, both of you have done exemplary, uh, important work, and you've also gotten attacked by, by lots of different people. Why are people unwilling to hear, view, why are they unwilling to hear other viewpoints on what's going on. Another way to put that is why do they refuse to, why do they refuse to look at reality? I think the, the issue is that when you challenge the regime narrative, it can also, you know, if your ideas gain too much popularity, it can start to jeopardize the monopoly that the regime has over the, you know, the control of information and the manipulation of the masses. So they view that as a serious threat. Like the idea that you could potentially say something on social media that they disagree with and even, you know, convince people through your, you know, whatever metrics you're using that what they're saying is wrong. Um, I think they rightly perceive that as a giant threat to, um, to themselves. I, I think what has backfired is that the censorship regime has been so brutal that many more people we are very skeptical these days. I know I am about, you know, the messaging that comes from America's ruling class than I've ever been before. So while they try to use COVID mania as a tool to hoover up even more and more power, I think in, in some areas of the country, it had the opposite effect. What do they, what are they defending and what do they want? Look, you said they want more power. That, that makes sense to me. Are there specific things? It occurred to me, um, probably relatively recently. Look, uh, just another way to see this. Another way to see the the, the, the you know at, at a certain point, at a certain point, they realized that they had they had enough power to mandate uh, to mandate Americans and other world officials could mandate huge profits for the pharmaceutical industry that that, 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 that's certainly part of it. You have to take this and these profits will go to the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers. So what is the regime? What is the oligarchy? What do they want? What are they defending? I think they're defending the veneer of their own infallibility. You know, it's about holding on to power. And ever since those initial lockdowns in March and April of 2020, those inflicted so much devastation on their own people that they simply couldn't possibly be wrong. From that point forward, they had staked, like, you know, the elite, our elites across the Western world, 
had staked so much of their reputation, so much of their integrity on the idea that there was that super virus that necessitated these lockdowns, that from that point forward, they couldn't go back. Because to admit that there was no super virus, to admit that those lockdowns had failed, that they had no effect on stopping right. it, would be too big of an admission, even for to admit to themselves. So from that time, what you have is one mandate, one of these mandates after another. And each one of them, you see, is kind of targeted at a specific human right or set of human right. rights. Lockdowns undermine the freedom, the freedom to work, the freedom of movement. You know, mass mandates and vaccine passports, that freedom of bodily autonomy. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you have this war on COVID misinformation that obviously is targeting the freedom of speech and the freedom of association. Right. They're all completely pretextual. Obviously, the lockdowns, you know, completely useless. The mass completely useless, but very effective in sort of that psychological indoctrination that you need, that you can't have these human rights anymore if you want to effectively uh, fight this virus like China did. You think you zero in on the idea of the war on COVID misinformation. Now, um, if you're not, you know, an especially thoughtful person, it sounds superficially plausible. This idea that, you know, because we have the super virus out there, this deadly pandemic, mm. we have to make an exception of the freedom of speech because under these circumstances, if you say the wrong thing, right. if you say misinformation, that can cost people their lives. That sounds right. superficially plausible, you know, if you're not especially bright. But yeah. then you actually stop yeah. and think about it. Okay, when in political discourse are human lives not on line? <laughs> Right. And literally yeah. any time, any year, any decade in human discourse. Right. I mean, you think that political discourse during the Civil War or during the Second World War did not, you know, endanger yeah. human lives. I mean, somehow we end have managed to have freedom of speech then it is all utterly pretextual. Are they, Jordan, you said before, you said there are maybe uh, there are tens, maybe hundreds of millions of Americans at this point who are willing to still get behind lockdown. So I guess my question and ask you first, and I'm going to swing back around to Michael. So, is the uh, is the political and corporate, cultural, and media establishment are they weaker now than they were two years ago? Are more and more people starting to see through them? Are they weaker, or are they stronger than they were before COVID? I, I think what you're seeing is the growing separation of. I, political ideology in America. And in some areas of the country, they're absolutely stronger. I mean, the people of New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, yeah. and so on, are, are totally captured by mm -hmm. the powers of uh, local and state and the federal government. But in other areas of the country, we have definitely um, wisened up to the threat posed by you know, what used to be somewhat seemingly innocuous uh, bureaucrats and regulators, and we want nothing to do with those people. So I think that there is a continuing split in the United States on that front. Yeah, I think their power has grown among those who will still give it to them. Yeah. Because they have been very the psychological operation has been very successful in normalizing among a certain portion of the population that there is a super virus, which requires them to indefinitely give up, you know, the right to bodily autonomy, the right to freedom of speech. We simply can't have those things anymore. And, you know, even though the mandates have in many ways been rolled back, that norm has been sort of grafted onto our democracy that those things can be indefinitely suspended. That any time, you know, the elites say that, 
um, you know, it'll save lives, you know, just these vague promises that'll save lives, that those human rights, the right to work, the right to movement, the right to bodily autonomy, the right to freedom of speech, can just sort of be suspended uh, whenever they want. So that norm um, has very, very successfully been sort of embedded into our democracy, especially in uh, some far left uh, states and countries. Well, what happens then, say, because I think a lot of people have been anticipating this, what happens if or more likely when they try to implement uh, climate climate change emergency measures? Will the people of New York and Los Angeles and Chicago willingly uh, willingly accept them and say, okay, so I won't ride the subway today, I'll stay home? And I won't even run my air conditioner in, um, in, in, in the middle of the Washington summer in, in August. And will the people of Florida and Texas and Idaho say, no, we're not accepting this at all. So what happens? Does that cause a uh, is that a national fissure? Do people say, oh, yeah, I, I, do people in those states and what we've come to call I think Jordan has been leading leading the pack on this, calling them the free states, the free state of Florida. Do Floridians say, no, this is absurd. Of course, we're not going to abide by your, your obscene climate change uh, emergency lockdown. We've, we saw what you did before, and you're totally fake and ridiculous. What happens? On the climate front, it, it's a very interesting battle being waged because um, as we all know, they've been waging this climate emergency battle and trying to freak us out about this hoax for decades, for many decades. And on the federal level, it's been very difficult to get people to buy into the concept that the world is ending very soon and we have to take all these drastic measures. Um, However, there's a more clandestine effort happening within the American, you know, corporate oligarchy. So, for example, like if you're going to invest in your 401k, your retirement fund, and your financial advisor says, okay, you know, we're going to buy you a lot of these like Vanguard, iShares, ETFs, that kind of stuff. And the next thing you know, you're propping up BlackRock, Vanguard, you know, two of the biggest um, investment managers, the two biggest in the world um, with now tens of trillions of dollars in assets under management. And they are going to use that money you're giving them to implement this, you know, this ESG governance style and force all of these other corporations that want to do business with them to also, you know, carbon decarbonize and all this other nonsense. So I think that's the real threat right now is is on this corporate oligarchy side of things, because, you know, the federal government has been messaging about this for so long. But when these super powerful multinational and quasi-federal um, corporations like BlackRock, which has access to the Federal Reserve, um, when they start playing this game and creating cartels and force you to accommodate this environmental stupidity, which is really just another cartel within a cartel that is going to try to block out people from being able to start a successful business in the United States, that is where I see that, you know, huh. the so-called environmental movement threat coming from is from these right. very shadowy actors who we, a lot of us unknowingly participate in their growth. Right. Well, 
Michael, am I wrong? I I read your work. I read Jordan's work. I see people respond to it. I see people standing up saying this is nonsense. I see people getting thrown off of Twitter. I see. And and I I mean, so I, 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 I'm, I'm looking at the, the upside to what's been going on, not just the last two years since COVID, but during the, during the Trump years as well. So I'm optimistic. I think there's a real awakening. There's a real, uh, a real resilience and resourcefulness that Americans are finding in themselves and in their families and in their communities, as well as their country. Um, am, am I wrong about this? It sounds like Jordan has reason to be concerned about, you know, not just, not just what the climate change play is going to look like, but in general. What, so what do you think? Where are you on this? No, I think that's absolutely right. I think there is reason for optimism with what we've seen over the last two years. You know, COVID in many ways was, you know, what China has been doing with climate change pushed into the highest gear. You know, China has been doing this for decades, playing this game where, you know, they make all these big promises about how we're going to be, oh, we're going to be carbon zero and, uh, you know, net zero in 10 years. And the global, you know, elites say, oh, yeah, China just said, you know, promise to be carbon Uh, zero in 10 years. So, you know, we got to reduce our carbon emissions. Of course, China does absolutely nothing to actually, you know, advance that goal. You know, it's just empty promises, just lies. But everybody else pretends to believe it. And with COVID, you know, that was, you know, pushed into the highest gear and it happened all on fast forward. And uh, unfortunately, a big portion of the population bought into it wholesale and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, China, they eliminated the virus by welding everybody in. Right. So we got their police mandates right. too. But fortunately, you know, there's enough people like myself and the rest of the anti-lockdown movement and a growing share of the population, especially on, you know, the political right here in America, where, you know, uh, resistance to these mandates has uh, fortunately gone mainstream, who have woken up to it and woken up to the fact that this is a big fraud. At the same time, you know, I don't think, I think it's, you You can very honestly say that what happened with COVID is nothing short of a coup attempt, you know, to very wow. quickly, um, you know, instill these norms that the global elite can simply ignore human rights, uh, you know, the right to work, um, undermine with lockdowns, the uh, right to free speech, undermine with censorship, and to just kind of give the global elite that will to power, that sort of pretext, the propaganda that was coming out of China, this is all necessary to fight this virus. You're just letting global elites, giving them a pretext to do what they want to do anyway, to expand their own sort of extra constitutional powers. Meanwhile, giving the population a pretext to go along with that and accept that uh, power and control. However, you know, people have woken up a lot to that and they realized um you know that they're being manipulated that you know (laughs) this illusion of consensus this idea that you know you can't talk about lockdowns in the very beginning what we saw in 2020 was that you know opposing lockdowns you got vilified you got censored this is just you know it's all platform manipulation is platform manipulation writ large interesting interesting phrase what do you mean by that platform manipulation because the entire policy itself was propaganda. This concept of lockdown had no history in the Western world, except uh, right. in the Middle Ages at the very latest, uh, was not part of any Western pandemic plan. Right. It all, you know, like communism itself, you know, the global COVID system, you could say, is all propaganda from the very beginning. 
and it was so it was so the Chinese Communist Party said they did in Wuhan. It was so obviously a political measure in terms of uh, in terms of collective punishment. This is what occupation regimes do to populations under occupation. It just struck me as so bizarre that people were buying it as a public health measure. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't even change the name lockdown. (laughs) <laughs> this word yeah, that right. you usually yeah, right. use right. in prisons. Right, that we it. see in prison movies, right? Yeah, this yeah, is, you're, it, you're it is blatantly political. Yeah, right. but, you know, um, by vilifying uh, and censoring all the most articulate voices who are opposed to these policies, you know, every step of the way, first it was lockdowns, then it was with vax mandates, then with vaccine mandates, by systematically censoring the most articulate voices under the, co- the pretext of this war on COVID misinformation, which is necessary to save lives, they're able to give this illusion yeah. of consensus and make people, you know, realize that, you know, they would be vilified and censored if they didn't, you know, get on board with what, you know, the global elite wanted to do, you know, constitution and rights be damned. Why do these policies, and I'll ask you first, and then I'll ask Jordan, why do these why you were we were talking about climate change and of course the idea of of going to uh, the green new deal renewable energy sources however we want to put it given the amount of uh, that these um the the devices that are made by china including lots of the different lots of the for for manufacturing electrical cars so this would aid the chinese communist party as of course covid lockdowns insofar as it broke enormous parts of the American economy. Why do so many of the policies now implemented by the American political class, why do they assist? Why do they all go in one direction? And that is to help the Chinese Communist Party. I'm so, and I'm just, I'm just going to ask you and then Jordan to speculate on this. Yeah, you know, I don't think they think of themselves as, you know, useful idiots or agents for the Chinese Communist Party. There are some really bad apples, like at the World Health Organization, who are are very obvious stooges, you know, wanting to even acknowledge Taiwan's existence. But mostly, you know, within our own bureaucracy, they consider themselves, you know, woke. They consider themselves, you know, not racist, because, you know, questioning China's data is racist, you know, uh, saying China is a totalitarian country, that's, you know, that's racist, like, we're we're not going to do that, consider themselves, you know, moderate and friendly with China. And by accepting the lies of the Chinese Communist Party about COVID or about climate, um, they become, you know, Chinese Communist Party members for all intents and purposes, because now they're just, you know, if you accept China's data, then you accept that these mandates are effective and you start implementing that on that, that on your own people. It's sort of a referendum of who do you trust more? Who do you like more? The Chinese Communist right. Party or your own people? And unfortunately, a lot of our elites, um, you know, in this administration, federal government chose China. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. The American intelligentsia, our ruling class, relayed Chinese Communist Party propaganda and used that against the American public. Um, all right, Jordan, what, why, why do so many of these policies go to the advantage of the CCP? Yeah, I, I think it's just the American ruling class. And I learned a lot about this through your work, Lee, and uh, everyone needs to read when, whenever that's, you publish that's something. That's very kind. Thank it, you, Jordan. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. It, it, it's a must, yeah. but for real, it's a must lead, not just must read, not just because I'm a friend, but because, you know, I, I, I learn a lot personally from nice what you're writing. Thing. And, the it I get the sense that the American ruling elites envy the system that they have in China, where 
the citizens do not have the right to question their expertise or their decisions. And they see that system and they think, you know, why can't we do that in America? And from their point of view, it's if only we didn't have this resistance from these, you know, these these animals that that think that they have the right to defy our lockdowns, then we can create our utopia. And that utopia is being created in China. I think that's their fundamental perspective. If I'm going to steel man their perspective, I think that's the best way to do it is to say that they, if, if only we would get out of the way, they would be able to keep us healthy, safe, and compliant forever. And now people see what utopia looks like. It looks like 25 million people imprisoned in the world's third largest city. That's utopia. That's that's the goal. That's where the Chinese Communist Party is, and that's where a lot of our elites want to go. We're gonna we're going to um, end in a few minutes, but I just wanted to, you know, any uh, any closing words, closing thoughts, and I I just wanted to say both to the, both of you. Thank you not just for for being here this Saturday afternoon, but really thanks. I, I mean, your your guys' work is. Um, it's 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 really important it's it's fundamental i urge everyone listening to to read it carefully and um so thanks thank you uh michael and thank you jordan yeah you as well lee i mean you know i'm really inspired by both your guys work i mean it's been extremely influential i think you're both cited multiple times within my book snake oil um you know you've all i've learned a lot from both of you and it's great to you know, get the opportunity to speak with you about this stuff. I mean, it's, you know, absolutely horrifying um, what we've experienced over the last two years. It's just bewildering to watch our own elites, you know, turn in. You had some like Bill Gates who are always like this, who always just sort of admired the power of the Chinese Communist Party head. But to have more and more of your own peers in your everyday life pick up these lines as well and express this sort of admiration for China, is you know really bizarre it's almost been like science fiction and it's just it's hard to believe sometimes but um you know i think the impact that you know those who have stood up and spoken out about this it really can't be um overstated it's just i think the anti-lockdown movement the resistance to these mandates has been, you know, so impactful over the last two yeah. years. And that's really the only reason that we've seen these things roll back. Uh, that's great. Jordan? Yeah, I agree with everything that Michael just said. And, you know, I, I appreciate being a part of these type of discussions um, just because I, I have so much respect for, you know, both Michael and Lee's work. And I, I, I think that, you know, that that's the encouraging part for me is that we can continue to grow coalitions of, interesting people, thoughtful people. And this era has really acted to me as a filtering mechanism for both like the, on the, on the individual level and the organizational and governmental level of, you know, what are these institutions that you think are worthy of respect, which institutions um, are interesting and working in your best interests, um, on you know on your individual human level who's been standing up for your rights 
Um, it, this has just been two years of uh, insane amounts of clarity for me. So that's my, you know, optimistic uh, perspective is that that's, that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look, thank both of you guys again. And um, we're fighting. I mean, that's uh, that's what we're showing. People are fighting. We're, we're, we're fighting this madness and we're out there and uh, we're doing well. We're doing very well. So, look, if you were listening this afternoon, thank you so much for listening. And please tell your friends uh, and and anyone else you think would enjoy hearing this conversation. The recording uh, of our of our great talk will be Shanghai Lockdown Madness will be going up soon. Um, in the meantime, I wish you all a great uh, a great week, Happy Easter, and or Happy Passover. Whatever you're celebrating, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Special, amazing, awesome thanks to Michael and Jordan. Thank you, gentlemen. And um, I'll see you all uh, or be speaking with you all next Saturday, same time, 4 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you both.